0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Now as you take a seat after that awesome time of worship, why don't you please find a Bible and turn to First Samuel 30. Worshiping the Lord in prayer, worshiping the Lord in song, worshiping the Lord now as we open up the word of God together. And just before we get into God's Word, two really quick announcements. These are all very important, two forms of worship in our church. I want to make you aware of we've been called to 30 days of prayer here specifically for the Muslim world. This uh, past week is uh, no exception in uh, bringing to our lives, I pray, an urgency that we need to have for the reality of darkness in our world and the reality, again, as we've heard today, Jesus Christ is the only answer and the only source of this light. Specifically as we do this, I want you to make notice of this. On Sunday, June 26, we're gathering together to pray because we desire so much to be a church that prays. If we don't depend on God, we're going to hear this again today in the message, we don't stand a chance. So we gather together Sunday, June 26. those who are convicted of this and those who are desiring to have more of a conviction of this and we're specifically going to be praying for the Muslim world as they are in their month of Ramadan right now. And so Lord, would you lead this time so powerfully and would you call us as a church to take this so seriously and how God could use this as well. Also, I'm, I want to say um, there's so much happening in our church. There's so much happening every weekend. I want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the house. Any fathers in the house? Right now, any fathers in the house? Let's encourage them, loved ones. Let's encourage them. Amen. And um, I want to put something up on the screen for you here. I think I've um, received this uh, four times now, and each time I receive this, I just it just cuts me to the heart, all right? It cuts me to the heart. And... Um, and I just want to read this poem to you because when I, when I just, again, I, four times I think now, and but each time I'm just like, there's something in it that I just wanted to share with the men of this room. Maybe, hey, you um, are a father now. Maybe one day uh, you want to be a father. Maybe you have a father type role in your life. Just the power of leadership as God has designed it. It says this, it's, it's small, but I'll read it for you. Uh, walk a little, oh, I'm not joking up over this, right? So, right. walk a little slower, daddy, said a child so small. I'm following in your footsteps and I don't want to fall. Sometimes your steps are very fast. Sometimes they're hard to see. So walk a little slower, Daddy, for you are leading me. Someday when I'm all grown up, you're what I want to be. Then I will have a little child who will want to follow me. And I would want to lead just right and know that I was true. So walk a little slower, Daddy, for I must follow you. The power of leadership designed God. You cannot overestimate the role of a man in a family, the role of a man in a community, the role of a man in a church. God's design for men and women is absolutely glorious and beautiful, and that does not diminish at all the power of what our culture says today, the power of of the man who is seeking the Lord as his first and to love him with all his heart and to cherish his wife and to be an example amongst those that he is in contact with, whether church or family or community or neighborhood or workplace. God, would you give us men who love you? And so in that note, on Father's Day right now, I want to pray specifically for men. And so, Father, we join right now, I pray, together at church, please agree to In yourself, in your spirit, as I pray these things, Father, we want to be men, and we want men who look to you. We are not perfect. We sin every day, but we look to the one who is perfect, and this is our strength. Many men have walked in here even now, Lord, filled with shame and guilt and beaten up and have things said to them from the outside and things in their head on the inside. In the name of Jesus Christ, oh, I pray the accusations will stop, and I pray the glory of Jesus Christ is seen, I pray the truth of Jesus Christ is known, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is received. We can't do it. And that's the point. No one can. But Christ in us is the one who does it. And so I ask right now, God, I ask right now, you will take even today's message, so pertinent to men in our day, everyone in our day. Would you use it? And would you bring encouragement, Lord, as your word says that you will bring a word to the one who is taught by God, and then he will give a word that will sustain the weary. And Jesus, this is what you came to do. And I pray you will help us now and help me, Lord, in my pathetic attempts to try to preach. I can't do it, but you can in me, God. And so I pray that you would, that you might get glory, that you might be exalted, that you might be raised up for the glory that you deserve and the honor that you have, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is none like you. So, all of us together, men, women, and children, we raise our eyes and lift our voices to the one who is worthy. Oh God, may it be so today. Lead this time exactly as you would decide. Not our will, oh God, but yours be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. If you agree, you can say, Amen. Amen. I'm glad to be in church today. Are you? Thank you, Lord, for your grace upon our lives. As we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. We find David in one of his most intense crises yet. Now that's saying a lot because David has been through a ton. David in his perpetual fleeing from Saul, what he did is he decided that he was so weary of running from Saul, he would enter into the enemy territory of the Philistines. The Bible tells us he would live there for 16 months. Now King Achish was the king of the Philistines and David actually gained favor with him because King Achish said in God's word, he felt that David had kind of turned his back on the Israelites so much. The text says that the King Achish thought that David caused himself to be a stench in the the eyes and the ears of his own people. So King Achish kind of trusted David, it says that too, and he actually gave a town for David to live in with his 600 men and their wives and their families and that town was called Uh, Ziglag. So it was here that David had left Ziglag to raid some other towns. He returns now to his temporary home again where his family is and all these hundreds of other people are too. He returns home though to, to a crisis that was so serious that it put his leadership and his very life in danger. Out of nowhere, David is confronted with this massive crisis. Now, I wonder if you in your life have lived enough years in this thing called life that you have experienced, maybe not in the exact same, way, obviously, as David did, but you have found yourself, a uh, thrust upon you, versions of crisis and emergencies that you were simply not prepared for. And they're all going to be different in our lives. Man, your crisis isn't my crisis, but they're all crises nonetheless. And this is what David has found himself in. now. Now, I believe this, how we respond to the crises of life, because they're coming, they have and they will, How we respond to the crises in life will so often determine the direction that our life goes, whether for good or for bad. This chapter then, in God's Word, we learn so much about David, and I'm praying we learn so much about ourselves. And so here's the sermon title today, it's this, uh, when crisis comes. When crisis comes. Again, crisis has come for all of us in the past, in some form or another, unless you're like three, okay? A crisis, they have lots of crises, don't they? Don't they not? And crisis is coming for some even now. You're in the midst of what you deem to be a crisis, an emergency. And here's what we know. For all of us who are human beings, crises will come in the future. It's guaranteed. I'm sorry to let you know that. It is called life. It's called being a human being. It's called the reality of the difficulties in this world that we can't control. And so think about it in our world today. How pertinent this message is with the world that we live in and the realities that we face beyond us and then within us as well. Crisis comes. You know the questions I'm asking myself and I want you to ask yourselves right now too. When the crisis does come, who do we become? Who are we when crisis comes? And the next question is, what do we do? How do we react? Who do we become when crisis comes into our lives? Well, we're going to learn a lot from David Today, because this is what happens to David, 1 Samuel 30, verse 1, check out the crisis that David is confronted with out of nowhere. Verse 1 says, now when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziglag. They had overcome Ziglag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, God's grace and mercy there, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, live in the text, live in the text, live in the text. When David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people, this is not made up story, loved ones, this is true, this happened. Then David and their people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Let me just stop right there. Loved ones, that is a crisis. David has returned home and found himself in the midst of a significant crisis. Crisis. Now, what do we learn? What does David do? What do we learn? That's our message today. Here's the first thing we learn. When crisis comes, we have four principles of truth we unpack today from God's Word. When crisis comes, number one, this, I must strengthen myself in the Lord. When crisis comes, because it will, and it has, and it will again, I must strengthen myself in the Lord. Now, David and his men have just traveled on foot 80 kilometers from the town of Aphek, to their hometown now, temporarily, Ziglag. They were hungry, they were tired, and they were exhausted. I like maps, you like maps. I'm forcing you to like maps. If you don't like maps, here's a map of what has happened here so we get some geography. Mediterranean Sea, of course the Dead Sea, Sea of Galilee up there a little bit. There is Jerusalem. They were in the Philistine territory of Afik. This is where David actually wanted to march with the Philistines against the people of Judah, and King Achish was like, yeah, yeah, I trust him, I trust him, but the other Philistines were like, we can't trust him, no way, get him out, get him out, the King Achish, no, 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 let him in, they're like, no, get him out, send him away, so they send David and his men uh, to return home, and they take this route, and they're going to end up in the town again that King Achish gave to David in Ziklag. and this is when they return home, and this is where they, they discover this horrific scene that they weren't prepared for, so You probably know that when you've been away from home for a while... And whether on business, or whether it's a student at school, or whether you're just traveling for some other reason, and you've been away from home for a while, you get excited to return to what we call the comforts of home. Make sense? We like to sleep in our own bed. Who likes their own bed in the house? Who likes their own bed? Yeah, a lot of us. Isn't it something like, my bed's not great, but it's my bed. You know what I'm saying? It's my bed. It just beats a hotel wherever else you're going to be staying. And so we love to return to the comforts of home. And if you like returning home, you like returning to family. You love the greeting and the reunion of maybe with your wife or your husband or the children that come out and they greet you. That's such a precious uh, moment for anyone, especially men fighting at war. And so here they are, weary, exhausted, and have the hope of seeing their family after being away and experiencing home cooking and the love again of their families and the embrace. And they get there, though, and the devastation that sets upon their hearts starts really at verse 1, and then the discovery of this only continues as they go along. So just imagine, and live in the text, you're approaching the city of Ziglag, your hometown, and you get close enough, you're like, wait, wait, something's not right right now. You're sensing, you're hearing, you're even smelling possibly that something's not quite right. You know those moments you kind of walk into a situation, and you're just, wait, 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 and your heart starts to beat quite fast because you're not, wait, something's wrong. Whether it was the smoke rising from the town, that would have been something. That's not a bonfire. Whether you're approaching there and it's eerily quiet, whether you're the man, you're, how come the children haven't run out to greet us yet? They would have seen us from miles away. Where are they? Where's the smile of my beautiful wife? And then all of a sudden they realize whoa, 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 whoa. Something terrible has happened here. So imagine being David. Let me just think of all that David's been through Saul trying to kill him, the Philistines don't want him. Then he returns home. Everything he has owned is gone. And on top of that, his family has been taken captive by the enemies and the Amalekites. Then on top of all this, when the other men realize what has happened, they blame you, turn against you, and now they desire to stone you to death. No wonder then in verse 4 it says, And David and his men wept until they had no more strength to weep. Loved ones, this is a crisis. This is a crisis. Notice it goes from shock to grief to loss, to furious anger, to massive distress, and then the threat of being stoned to death. Just let let me ask you, as you put yourself in this text, if you're David, like in all sincerity, totally for real, if you're David, what do you do? Just pause. If you're David, what do you do? Do you run for your life? Do you run away and hide? Do you just resign right there? Do you contemplate taking your own life because there's no way you can recover? What do you do? See, this will be the turning point of the man or woman who truly have a heart after the heart of God. If we do what David does next. Verse 6. Verse 6. And David strengthened himself and the Lord his God. Now that verse right there, that verse in my Bible, it is underlined it is highlighted, it has comments beside it in the margin, and that was before I even got to the text this week, it was like that, why? Because I believe this is the starting point and the turning point for the Christian life. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. This is where life is truly lived. This is abiding in the vine of Jesus Christ. This is the man who decides at the hardest moment of his life, that's far, he is going to turn in dependence solely upon the Lord. Because as Peter said to Jesus Christ, Lord, where else can we go? For you hold the words of eternal life. Isn't it interesting, as the the vice grip tightens in, we find out what we really believe. In the crises of life, one of two things will happen. We will either pull away from God in anger and blame God, he is unjust and unkind. Or in the crises of life, we will draw closer to God in a massive sense of dependence and need and trust in him. Because really, what is David going to do there? In the midst of all that's happening around him, what's he going to do? Rely on self? Well, that would be foolish. David knows his God. David has a heart after his Lord. So at his toughest time, when we find out, now we find out his theology, really what's within him. See, a lot of us say the right stuff. but When the crisis hits, we find out what we really believe about the theology of God. And David right here, we find out his theology is pretty awesome. Here's the theology of David. What he does in that moment is he recalls the faithfulness of God in his past. Did you know that God is only faithful and nothing else? Do you know God can only be faithful? Why? Because he's perfect. A God who is perfect never makes a mistake. When you deem God unfaithful, he's not the problem, we are. Our judgment of God is the thing that is sinful. God is perfect. He can't be anything but faithful. David knows this. He looks in the past of his life, all the different trials he's been through. He says, God's been faithful to me, not the way I would have chosen it, not the way I would have drawn up, not the way I would have decided what would have happened to me, but every single part of my God has been faithful. He looks at the God of his past, you are perfectly faithful. He looks at the God of his present, you are perfectly faithful. And then he turns now and he begins to walk in the future of his life to the God who is perfectly faithful. That is a theology that you and I can take with us every single day we live. And that's a theology that will change your life. God can only be faithful in our lives. That's why David strengthens himself in the Lord, his God. Because there's no one else to strengthen yourself in. Men on Father's Day today, men, listen up. You must strengthen yourself in God because there's no one else you can strengthen yourself in. If you rely on self, you're done. The greatest turning point of your life is leaning with all you got on the Lord and watching him fill your life as you become less and he becomes more. God is faithful. He's looking to work within those who are broken. And we have to believe right here. We have to believe and we know. How busted up is David? How contrite? How broken? How devastated is David? It says he wept until he had no more strength to weep. Then the men around him said, let's kill him. so broken but I want you to see within David's life the dependence three D's the dependence the desperation and the devastation lead to a rushing of God's strength and God's faith within David's life this past week we had a prayer meeting at our church I'm sorry if you weren't here you missed out you just missed out man why was this prayer meeting so great this past week well because the three D's were there we have a church gathering, dependent, desperate, and devastated in ourselves with all sincerity saying, God, we're dead without you, we need you. And what happens? God just fills that place. He fills a group of people who understand they can't do it without him. He fills people who know they don't have the strength to carry on. He fills people who call out to him and say, God, I'm so weak, I need your strength. God works in people who understand they need him. And so David strengthened himself in the Lord his God because he knew he had no one else to rely on. When the crisis comes, oh, when the crisis comes, there's only one place to turn. Strengthening yourself in the Lord. Secondly, when crisis comes, I must find my wisdom from the Lord. From the strength of God comes the wisdom of God. Look at verse 10 now. And David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Okay, David now is ramping up the dependence, and he's specifically doing it through prayer. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And God answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out, and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Basar, which... Where those who were left behind stayed. Notice this, loved ones, where there's true desperation, there's dependence. David's broken, now David is praying. Are we broken? If we're broken, we're praying. If we see ourselves for who we really are, we're praying. The linen ephod was a special apron the priests would wear to cover their clothing As they minister before the Lord, David is getting very serious at this point. You know what's so interesting? Two chapters before this, the contrast of David and Saul. Saul, almost, Saul, almost. Saul seeks the Lord in chapter 28. What should I do? What should I do? He grows impatient, and instead of seeking the Lord, Saul does, revealing his heart, he goes and he seeks a medium. He goes to a fortune teller. God, fortune teller. David, God, God, God. There is no plan B. Saul, I don't hear you. God, fortune tell. What? Really? A A medium? And then sure enough, Saul is days away from his disastrous end to his life that was so close yet so far away. But here's David in his dependence upon the Lord. He draws from the source of All wisdom. He draws from the well of wisdom. Loved ones, when you are in the midst of a crisis, there's one who holds the wisdom of this life. And listen, wisdom loves wisdom. Proverbs 4, verse 7 is such a one of my favorite verses, certainly in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 4, verse 7 says, The beginning of wisdom is this. Do you know the rest? Yes, get. a w- tricked last night. They said, the fear of the Lord. I'm like, no, no, there's another verse there that says something like that in Proverbs 9, verse 10. But Proverbs 4, 7 says, I've always loved this verse. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. That's awesome, man, that's awesome. So how do you know you're wise? You love wisdom. How do you know you're wise? You talk about wisdom. How do you know you're wise? You long for wisdom. How do you know you're dumb? You don't talk about wisdom, don't want wisdom, don't seek wisdom. You talk about wisdom, you think about wisdom, do you want wisdom, do you long for wisdom? no. Yes, Bible, man, Bible. The wise person wants wisdom. The Bible says the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, whatever you get, get insight. Whatever you get, whatever you get, the Bible says. If you're going to do anything in this life, get wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? Well, then we say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But the wise person wants the wisdom that the Lord provides. This is David because he knows he has it nowhere else. He seeks the Lord, he waits in the Lord, and God says, Yeah, David, you pursue, you overtake, and God promises him, and you will rescue. Now look at verse 9. Did you notice verse 9? So David set out, and the 600 men who were with him. Wait, 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 time out, time out, time out. Whoa, wasn't it like three verses ago that these were the men threatening to stone David to death? What happened? They wanted to kill him. Now they're following him to rescue. What's the difference there? I read between these lines right here, and here's what we know happened. David strengthened himself in the Lord. When he strengthens himself in the Lord and he finds the wisdom of God, that is when the Holy Spirit of the Lord authenticates an individual. And when God authenticates an individual, people are following. Loved ones, don't do this. Don't force followership. Don't make people follow you. That doesn't work. They reluctantly get in line, but at the end of the day, they have no respect for what's going on, especially with you. David here, he humbled. I love this. I love this. First Peter 5, 5 and 6. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God at the proper time. He will exalt you. David humbles himself in brokenness before his God in the midst of rocks being held up to stone him. He is strengthened by the Lord. The men see. There's our leader. They see his brokenness. They see the Lord upon his life. They see the wisdom he is gathering. And then they're like, okay, we're in. It's awesome. That is from a man who seeks to be strengthened and find his wisdom from the Lord in the midst of one of his greatest crises yet. Again, Father's Day today, men, men, men. Oh, if you and I will be men who will strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And seek to be broken and humble, but find the wisdom of God. I'm telling you, people around you, wives and children, you can't fake when God authenticates someone, and you can't deny when God authenticates someone. And people who love the Lord want to follow someone else who is also following Him. A.W. Tolzer said, listen to the man with oil on his forehead. Follow the man who follows God. That's awesome. And that's what we need to be in the midst of the crisis. Listen to the man with oil on his forehead and David's men around him. They saw the oil on David's forehead and they said, we're in. The power of what God alone can do. David not forcing the agenda, but allowing the Lord to authenticate his life. And notice that God says, go, but doesn't tell David exactly where to go. But just, yes, go after them. Notice that when God says go, David perseveres through further trial. How do we know further trial? Well, notice in verse 10, look at verse 10. But David pursued, and he and his 400 men. Why? I thought there were 600. Well, there were. But 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook at Basar. Tell me, these were all men who lost their wives and children. How tired do you have to be to not go after your, the women and children? How tired do you have to be? You have to be flat out exhausted to the point you have nothing left. That's how tired these men were. But here's David, man, leading the charge in the Lord's strength. And he says, that's fine. You 200 stay there. Kind of reminds you of Gideon. And God preparing himself in the weakness of man to exalt his own glory and his own strength. But David's like, okay, you guys stay here and we're going to continue on. David fighting through with perseverance. I love that. And then when God sends his wisdom in our lives and guides us, God promises he'll provide for us as well. Please know this, loved ones. Whenever God guides you, he promises to provide for you. His way, his time, his will, not our way, not our desires, what he decides we need. But if he guides us, he promises to provide for us. Look what happens in verse 11 now. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And they gave him bread, and he ate. They gave him water to drink, a piece of cake and figs, and two clusters of raisins. Notice the detail of the food that this guy's eating. Like, he must have been nearly dead. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived. For he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, to whom do you belong, and where are you from? He said, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. Okay, though now the men are listening. You're what? You're servant to who? And then he says this, and my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had made a raid against the Negev, the Karathites, and against that which belongs to Judah, and against the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziglag with fire. Do you think he's got their attention now? Ah, yes. Verse 15, And David said to him, Will you take me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me. So this, this servant guy is smart enough to say this. Swear to me, by God, that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. He doesn't tell them where they are yet. He says, please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. And then I will tell you. So David, being a man of character, is the one who does this. Notice, notice, the Lord kept this guy alive to provide for his people the knowledge and the direction of where they were to be. Isn't that so often in our lives as we seek in the midst of crisis? We strengthen ourselves. We get God's wisdom, but God gives us step one. And so often, you're like me, man. You're like me. I know you are. You see step one. You're like, I want step one through 10, God. Come on. Give me step one through ten. I want to see how this goes. Show me everything. God's like, no, nope, step one. I'm like, come on, come on. T- step, step four, step five. I was like, no, one. Two, no, one. Take step one and see what we do about step two. And this is David, man. He's like, go, pursue. You will overtake, but just go. And he goes, no idea. Finds the Egyptian guy. God provides for him because God is infinitely able to provide for his children whatever way he desires. And that's what happens when we strengthened in him. And we find our wisdom in him, how the Lord provides for us. Oh, it takes faith. Oh, men and women of faith to trust the Lord and to see what he will do. When crisis comes, I strengthen myself in the Lord. I must find wisdom from the Lord. And thirdly, this, I must believe the Lord for victory. I must believe for victory through the Lord. Now look what happens in verse 16. And when they had taken him down, behold, they were spread, the Amalekites were spread abroad all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. Notice, David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. I love verse 19. Nothing was missing. This is the victory of our God. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. A couple of things right here. Notice the pride and the arrogance of the Amalekites spread over all the land, indicating men their guard was down. They are boasting in their arrogant victory. They think there's nothing to fear. Now we won. We won. Sinning, carelessness, drunkenness, about to be destroyed. I think that's such a symbol of the world we live in right now. So much arrogance, willful rejection of God, drunkenness, carelessness, sinfulness, dancing around, delighting in the sin, no mind of God whatsoever, and little do they know they are moments away of complete and total destruction. And David here, he seizes this moment, as God said that he would, and I want you to see how God gives a victory, which is pretty pretty impressive. The Lord encourages David in the midst of fear. The Lord gives wisdom to David in the midst of anxiety. The Lord gives strength to David in the midst of devastating weakness. The Lord gives knowledge to David in the midst of uncertainty. The Lord gives victory to David in the midst of the enemy. This is what happened, loved ones, to those who rely on the Lord for strength and for wisdom. He guarantees victory. Now, some of us look at this text right now. We see David's life, and we're like, man, it must be nice for David. How come his life kind of turns out the way that, you know, he wants it to go, and he gets kind of that, listen, he had a hard, hard go, man. He had a hard go. And you're like, well, I'd be nice if my life ended up that way. Now, just wait, time out, spiritual time out for a second. If you are a genuine believer in Jesus Christ right now, saved in Jesus Christ, washed by his blood for the forgiveness of your sins, and you've been born again, you are regenerated, you must understand now you have a level of victory right here that in this text David wasn't fully aware of in the same way. We are post-resurrection. We have Holy Spirit living within us permanently now. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. So listen, you have a victory that is guaranteed today, not over Amalekites per se. You have a victory that is guaranteed over death, sin, and Satan, which is better, which is more powerful, which is more substantial, which is more glorious. I argue to you, when I read this text right here, and God promises victory, we transfer that into the New Testament, and my heart leaps at the reality of my eschatology. Eschatology, end times, last things, the return of Christ. My heart leaps at the reality that I am victorious in Jesus Christ. I cannot lose. And when I get to heaven, nothing will be missing, man. Nothing great or small. There'll be no complaints ever when we walk into glory. This is the victory God provides for his children. Do you understand that? When you walk into heaven, man, you're not going to be like, I'm um, waiter, waiter, sorry, My food's a little cold. Can you warm it up, right? You're not walking into heaven saying, wait, well, I have my steak. Well, I ordered medium rare, man. This thing's medium. Take it back and give me. You're not doing that. You're not complaining about anything nothing will be missing small or great you will walk into glory and you will be struck on your knees forever and ever at the precious infinite glorious nature of our savior jesus christ the king of kings and lord of lords where there's no need for sun, because the radiance of god himself is enough that's going to be a very very good day and this is the power of living in the victory we have in jesus christ when crisis comes loved ones this is how we're called to live When crisis comes, we must remember who we are in Christ, our identity and the gospel. I think a great illustration of this is let's say a year ago, I'm a big um, college basketball fan from the States. My team is Duke. I don't expect you guys to know this a lot. We're Canadians up here, watch hockey, that do other stuff. Love college basketball for many years. Duke's my big team. Duke has a massive rivalry with North Carolina, okay? Probably the biggest rivalry in college sports. Cheering for Duke for 25 years. So last year, they had their big rivalry game, whatever, and I was excited. Duke was playing well. UNC was playing well. It was a big, big game on TV kind of later in the night. And I turned it on, man, cheering for Duke. But it started off well, but then it started going downhill. And then Duke started losing by like 10 points. Oh, no. And then 15 points. Oh, this is going bad. And then 20 points in the second half. 20 points. Down by 20 in the second half. College basketball. This isn't looking good. In fact, I got a little discouraged. I'm, I'm going to bed. I'm not staying up for this. Turned it off and then went to bed. Forgetting that I had recorded the game before it even began. So I wake up the next morning, and um, i must have just check the score, see how much they lost by. And I check the score, and I find out they win. They won in overtime. I'm like, what? They won? That's incredible. How did they win? I'm like, i got to see this. So I go back over, and I get the recording. I start playing it. Now, isn't it something? You start to play this game now, and you know the end score that is in your favor. You know your team wins, and so you start watching the game, they're losing by 20, and they start playing worse, and they start losing by 25, but because the conclusion has already been decided, you're sitting back as they play worse, and you're like, this is great! You're watching, there's no stress, there's no anxiety, you're like, what a game, they're getting killed, right? right? And you're sitting there with all the of drinking a glass of water, and you're almost excited to see your team as they're in this desperate state of confusion because you know the way it ends. And sure enough, Duke comes back and they go into overtime and they win the game, the celebration. And I'm sitting the whole time saying, Wow, this is awesome. What's the difference? I knew how the game ended. I apply that to the Christian life, ones, loved ones. In some ways, the Christian life, we are watching a... Pre-recorded event, which we already know exactly how this ends. Let me ask you: When that is true, why are we so stressed all the time? Why are we so feel so much fear all the time? Why do we bite our nails so much time spiritually? Why do? Why are we so afraid of little things in life when we are guaranteed the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ, be born again, that we cannot be lost. He has us, he has secured us, he loves us. Forever he will keep us and one day soon we will be with him in glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the reality of when the crisis comes, strengthen yourself, get your wisdom from him and understand your victory is complete. Nothing, nothing will be missing, small or great from your life because of Jesus Christ in his glory. Amen. Amen. He is so good. He is so awesome. He is so beautiful. This is how we're called to live. Do you know in First Thess- Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, Paul goes into detail as to the return of Christ. Detail. And at the end of those eschatology passages, at the end of both, he says this, encourage one another with these words. I'm trying to do that for you right now. I'm trying to encourage you with the reality of your eschatology if you are genuinely saved in Jesus Christ. No wonder then, we love the hymn and we love to sing, O Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight and the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. See, see, because of all this truth, this is why in the midst of crisis we can say it is well with my soul. Because at the end of the day, I am who I am. I will always be who I am because Jesus Christ has bought me with a price and I can't be lost. I'm telling you, All I'm trying to do for you over and over again is paving a path of discipleship for you. Take the encouragement you feel right now, the renewal of your mind, the, the energy of your heart for truth. Take it with you and apply it tomorrow and then apply it Tuesday and then apply it Wednesday. Just take it with you. It's available to you every single day you live. Because it's true. This isn't, oh, I hope it ends this way. No, 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 no. It's guaranteed, man. It's guaranteed. This is who we are to be in the midst of the most difficult times of our life. This is the grace given to us. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit given to us that we might live lives for him. So all this grace that we've been given, David just abundantly blessed by the victory of God through the tremendously difficult time. What does he do with this grace now given to him? Does he hoard it? Does he just keep it to himself? No, he shares it because it's not his to keep. Point number four, when crisis comes, I must share the grace given me by the Lord. I must share the grace. Look at verse 21. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had left at the brook Besor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Notice this, verse 22. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David... Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and his children and depart. See? So a certain group of men among the 400 said, No, 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 wait, wait, David, 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 David. We're not giving these guys a part of our treasure and spoil, man. We fought the battle. We defeated the Amalekites. They didn't. They were too tired. They didn't come. Sure, give them their wives, give them their children, but they get nothing else. And David's like, No, that's not how it works. Everyone will get his share. Why? Well, look at verse twenty-three. But David said, "You shall not do so, my brothers." Look at David's heart here, with what the Lord here's the key. Ready? With what the Lord has given us, with what the Lord has given us, He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that has come against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is with who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And in fact, this is so significant, and he made it a statue and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. Again, the beautiful heart of David. Why does David have such a beautiful heart? Because he's after the beautiful heart of God. And the more we are after the beautiful heart of God, then the more the beautiful heart of God becomes part of our heart within our lives. Notice here, David shares the grace of God given him. Why? Because God's grace is not ours to keep for ourselves you say how have I received God's grace well if you're saved in Jesus Christ you've received God's grace infinitely infinitely you're born again by the message of the gospel we have received the truth the message of grace we are called to share this message of grace we are called to be on mission to reach out and to tell others of the message of grace of the Lord Jesus Christ There's a grace that we share with others, a verbal grace. We encourage other people. We love other people. There's a physical grace that we are to share with our time, with our giftedness. We don't hoard these things for ourselves. As followers of Christ, we are called to share the grace that has been given to us. And yes, we are called as followers of Christ to share the material grace that God has given to us. It's interesting here that in this In this passage, David is abundantly blessed by God's grace of the spoil from the Amalekites. But he desires to give everyone, even those who didn't fight, everyone gets their share. I think this is such a key indicator of our heart whether we're truly going after God or not. Listen, how we handle material possessions and God's money is often the single greatest indicator of where we are or where we are not. This is why Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. This is why Jesus talks about money so much because he knows ultimately is what we love and if our heart is not set on generosity with his money, then our heart is in a place that we don't want it to be. He cares about it so much. I'm telling you right now, are you generous? Do you have a spirit of generosity in your life? With your time, with your talent, with your treasure, or are you stingy? Are you a hoarder person? Are you selfish? Do you give to the Lord? Like, do you give generously to the work of the Lord? If you don't, that's an indication that there's a heart problem. Because the grace that God has given to us is not ours, it's his. And the man or woman pursuing the Lord knows that and then says, Lord, you've graced me with this. How can I now grace others in the same way? That's a massive indicator of how the Lord is working in our life. Not my words, God's word all over the place. And this is one representation of that here in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Question Who needs your grace today, this week? Who is God calling you to share his grace through your life today, this week, this month? What an example that David is, a man of grace in the midst of such a significant crisis. When crisis comes, strengthen ourselves in the Lord, find our wisdom in the Lord, see our victory by the Lord, and then share the grace I've received from the Lord. Loved ones, when crisis comes, it has come for all of us. It is here right now for some of us and it will be here for each one of us in some way or another as long as we are called humans and as long as we keep living this life. God, help us to be prepared, to be used by you, to find our strength in you and to bear fruit for you when time and life is the most difficult. May this be so. Amen, church.